Um, today, let's get Proverbs 22. We're going to read Proverbs 22 and 1, then we're going to read Ecclesiastes 7 and 1. Proverbs 22 and 1 says, A good name is more desirable than great wealth, and respect is better than silver or gold. Ecclesiastes 7 and 1 says, A good name is better than expensive perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you're born. The reason the day you die is better than the day you were born is because you have a choice as to what your name means by the time you die. We're responsible throughout life to make our name through the power of God. And tonight I want to talk about the name exchange. And this is going to deal with uh, the power of a name. The first thing I want to talk about is fear. The Bible says that fear has torment. And I'm not going to go through everything, but fear has a way of paralyzing you to where once you enter into it, you're like a deer stuck in the headlights. You don't know which way to move. You ever been in life, you're traveling along just fine, and then something pops up, and you freeze. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I sit still? What do I do? But you got this big Mack truck coming at you, and you know you got to do something. Once it grips your heart, it's extremely hard to shake it. Fear. Most of us spend a great deal of time trying to dismiss unnecessary fears. I do this with, with my daughter. Those of us that have kids, we know that there are things that they become afraid of. And we know it's perfectly harmless. Some are scared of the closet door being open. So we have to go in there and talk to them. Baby, it's just it's nothing in there but your clothes. And, you know, if you want to, you can close it at night. But... There's nothing in over time they realize that wasn't nothing to fear. We have the same issues in life. We have things that we believe can destroy us. We have things that we're afraid of, decisions that we have to make, direction that God has given us. And we know God's given it to us. Some of us has, have no doubt God has told you, go this route, do this. Touch this person's life, whatever the case may be. And because of fear, sometimes it's fear of rejection. Sometimes you just don't want to get out of your comfort zone. But that fear paralyzes you and you don't know which way to go. Or you refuse to go the way that God told you to go. But you realize in life that that was nothing to fear. Once you do it, sometimes you go, oh, that's all that was. <laughs> but the fear is the thing that caused you to. It, ha it has torment. Then you become stressed, and then you can't sleep. Then you start to act funny and weird. You're running. There's a, a healthy fear because God put that part in us. Jason talked earlier about how God gave us our emotions, and f fear is, is a good emotion to have. But there's some things that you don't need to fear. There's some things that, that should not have that power over your heart, over your life, over your spirit. You should be able to be free in some areas. All right, so with that, we're going to talk about names. Names. And the, uh, the theme I'm coming from is more of a name change. Biblical names have significance. Some still do today. Some of our names we have significance. We named Zoe, Zoe Azrael, Lamb. Uh, Zoe means life. The reason we named her Zoe was because we had had some complications with pregnancies before, and we were wondering if this pregnancy was going to be able to, to be carried out. And God came to my wife and said, I'm going to give you life. So we named her Zoe. That's what was going on, and that's the promise that God had given us. So we named her according to what was going on and what was promised at that time. 
So the name reflects what's going on with regard to that person at the time of their conception, the embryonic stage while they're in the womb, or their birth. The name sometimes depicted the character of the individual. And in the Bible, names were changed when the person was changed. And in the Old Testament, not only did God change his name in certain situations, but he also would change the person's name that he was acting on the behalf of. And when I say change their name, I'm talking in the broad sense of who they are, their character, what they represented, that thing that would define their life and who they are. So the names were changed when the person was changed. So we have to still call things the way they are. So we can't claim a name change if we have not embraced that change yet. If we're still in, in the undone condition, wherever God meets you, whether you're dealing with fear or doubt, disbelief, uh, a particular sin, you got to call yourself what you are until you can be changed. We can't fake and say, oh, I got the victory, and when you don't have the victory. You can't say that you've overcome if you haven't overcome. You could say, I'm, I'm struggling to become what God wants me to be, but there's no sense in, in, in lying about it. And we talked earlier that God's calling for us to be honest. And once you start that little bit of tweaking and, as you say, editing, then you enter into what we call lying. Just lying. Not lying, just lying. So a few people in the Bible, we, we know whose names were changed. We see Abram. Abram is changed from Abram to Abraham. Uh, we have Sarai, Abraham's wife. Her name is changed from Sarai to Sarah. We have Simon, who Jesus changed his name to Peter. He said, your, your name is going to be a rock now. And then we have Saul, the apostle, whose name was changed to Paul. And tonight, the person that I want to deal with is we have Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Zechariah 14 and 9 says that in that day, he's prophesying of the end time. In that day, the Lord shall be one and his name one. Now, the key to that verse is really focusing on the name. Because the Lord had always been one. So the key to the prophecy is that all of these names that I've been changing throughout the centuries. I came as El, Elyon, Jehovah, El Shaddai. All of these names, Jehovah, all of the Jehovahistic titles. I'm going to take all of that and do away with it. And in that day, I'm not going to be all of those names. I'm going to be Jesus. Yeshua, salvation, deliverance. So when Jesus was manifested in the flesh, the name that he was given would represent the fiber of who he was. Although God did many wonders in the Old Testament under various names, he purposed in his heart to identify himself with just one name, that name being Jesus. So all of God is, out of all that he's been, Throughout the century, and we could read through the Old Testament. Some of us sit and read, and, and we stand in awe at the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the wonderful ways he brought people out. He, he translated people. He did all these things. But he says that this, this name here is going to supersede everything that I've done in the Old Testament. So out of all that he's ever been, the one thing that he is the most and forever will be is a deliverer. He is your deliverer. And when he says, thou shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save their people from their sins, he's saying, I'm going to deliver you from whatever is causing you to miss the mark. That's what sin is, harmatia, missing the mark. You're not hitting the bullseye. Today's session, we, we had a, a session of confession. To where God had us to lay that stuff out because the Bible says to confess our sins one to another and then pray for one another that we may be healed. 
Sometimes we want to pray, but we don't want to confess. But we got to follow the, the way God laid it out in his word. There has to be confession because there's a release. There's a power of sharing. And also, we never realize that sometimes that other person may be struggling with the exact same thing. And they're just waiting with, for somebody else to come and encourage them and to, to let them know you're not the only one. The devil wants us to make us believe that don't want nobody understand you. Just keep it to yourself. No, that's a ploy of Satan. Then he gets you into a pity party. And then he, he's, he draws you away from your healing, which is in confessing that thing to somebody else and receiving healing and allowing that person to pray with and for you. So although his name is one, there is the possibility for him to change our name several times over. All right, now in the Old Testament, we see him changing his name from this to that to the other. Now his name has become one, and now he is constantly changing our name. Every time God comes to you in your life and delivers you, He's changing you. He's changing who you are. You're becoming what he purposed you to be. Every change has to be noted. It has to be, you, you have to stop and recognize. Because sometimes we move so fast and, you know, we're on to the next one. Some of us don't even realize, wow, God really did come through and do something for me on that thing. So there's also the problem possibility that we can revert back to what we were once he delivered us this is a practice in, in some societies where a marriage for whatever reason won't work out and when they got married they took on their husband's name and when they sometimes divorce sometimes the wife for whatever reason will, will go back to her former name I'm not saying this thing, that's just how things work sometimes but in our life, we can't afford to revert back to our old name that God tried to deliver us from years ago because there's constant change ahead. Everybody in here has had a time where they go to a little party, whatever, a little gathering. Somebody may bring a friend along, and they want to introduce you. The first thing you do in a meet and greet is what? Exchange names. Angie, this is Kathy. Kathy, this is Angie. And y'all try to remember that name. <laughs> you try. You try to remember that name. See, some of us forgot the name that God introduced himself as when we got saved. We didn't remember it. As soon as he said, I'm, I'm your, I come to deliver you from ABCD. That was a specific name for your life. And we forgot the name that he gave us. He didn't forget the name that we gave him, if we gave him a name. Sometimes people give false names. God try to pick up a girl. Hey, what's your name? <laughs> Come here, girl. Let me talk to you. I give you a fake name, a fake number. And that's how some of us did when we first came to God. I used to tell people my name was Alex when I really didn't want nothing to do with him because my middle name is Alexander. What's your name? Alex. How you doing? I really wasn't interested. See, we can't do that with God. Not if you want your deliverance. So yeah, I'm a person, I'm bad with names. We can't do that with God. We got to remember when we encounter God, you got to remember who he came as. He's still the I am, that I am. And his name is Jesus. But that deliverance also, just like the Jehovahistic titles, that name Jesus still can be tied to so many different things for him to deliver us from. Then the person has contact, you know. After the, a name greet, there's usually some form of contact. You reach out, you shake hands. Some people, like if they're meeting a, a, a new spouse to a family member, they embrace them into the family. 
they hell, you my sister, you my brother now. There, there had to be some kind of contact. Uh, see, God reaches out to us when he comes to meet us. Some of us, because whatever it may be, because of our past, we say, oh, that's just me. I'm just a closed person. That was my confession today. I'm going to try to open up more. I'm not going to try to close down as much as I have been. So you got to realize that, but God is trying to embrace us, and we've got to let that guard down and realize what type of God. He, he's an up-close, personal kind of Savior. He likes to get close to you. He don't like distance. We shouldn't be comfortable with distance, not with the Savior and the creator of our soul. When we get to a place where we're comfortable with that distance, we're in a dangerous place. And then after the, the, the contact, sometimes there's an exchange of personal information. Some contacts are made for life. You have those people you meet. After a while, you give them a call. Before you know it, y'all meeting up every now and again for lunch. It could turn into a lifelong friendship. So whatever happens after that initial meet and greet will determine the essence of that relationship. Whatever has happened in your life since you claim to have met Jesus, that determines where you are now, where you'll be going in the future. What are we willing to lay down? What are we willing to, to allow him to change? Remember now, the Holy Ghost is gentle. The Holy Ghost doesn't come and beat you over the head with a baseball bat and say, you know, you're going to do this or else. There are consequences to our actions for not obeying God, but we're talking about the tender wooing of the Holy Ghost, how he comes to us and he tells us and shows us ourselves and says, I want to turn this into this. So do you call one another? You go out for lunch or dinner. Do you make plans to enjoy each other's presence? Now let's get Genesis 32. And uh, we'll probably just skip throughout this chapter. I want to get verse, I believe it's 24, and then we'll go back and walk through the top. Actually, verse 22. But during the night, he got up and wakened his two wives and his two concubines and 11 sons and sent them across the river Jordan at the Jebuk Ford with all his possessions, then returned again to the camp and was there alone. And a man wrestled with him until dawn. And when the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of joint at the socket. The man said, let me go for it is dawn. But Jacob panted, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob was the reply. It isn't anymore, the man told him. It is Israel, one who has power with God. Because you have been strong with God, you shall prevail with men. What is your name? Jacob asked him. No, you mustn't ask, the man told him, and he blessed him there. Now, let's walk through this here. At verse number one, we see the angel that Jacob encounters some angels. At this point in 32, Jacob had just established a point of no return. He and his father-in-law, father Laban, who were having some struggles, and Laban at one point wanted to kill Jacob because God blessed Jacob immensely. He, he blessed Laban also because of Jacob, but when he realized that he had nothing, and Jacob had all the possession. Even though he was blessed, that wasn't enough for him. So he started to get envious and wanted to go after Jacob. So Jacob said, I'm going to flee. So he gets all his wives. He takes whatever belongs to him, and he flees. And Laban starts to chase him. And Laban finally catches up to him and says, you know, why would you get up and leave like that? And he says, well, you know, I, I know that you're out for my life. So Laban and him get to a point to where they get to agreement. I'm going to draw a line here. 
And we always say uh, that scripture, may the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent one from another. That particular saying was born out of animosity and strife. Laban and Jacob had an agreement. They crossed a line. They drew that line. It was a boundary. So Laban and Jacob agreed. I won't cross this boundary to harm you and you won't cross it to harm me. Not that you won't cross it, but you won't cross it to harm one another. The boundary was harm, not so much a physical. uh, We just ain't talking no more. They came to that agreement. So Jacob now, he was on this side of the line, and he had reached a point of no return. Now we see in verse number one, the angels just pop up out of nowhere. We may not know what's ahead, but some of us realize, I can't go back. You're at that place with like a deer in the headlights where fear is trying to grip your heart. See, Laban was Jacob's security. The only reason he went to Laban is because Esau wanted to kill him. And when Esau's, when their mother heard Esau say, I'm going to wait till daddy die. And when daddy die, Jacob is mine. And when the mother heard that, when, Re- when Rebecca heard that, she told Jacob, you need to get out of here. Esau's going to try to kill you. So I want you to go to my brother's house. Go to Laban's house. And Laban and Jacob went to Laban and told him all the stuff that had happened, how he stole Esau's birthright and how they did all this conspiring with one another. So Laban was his security. But now when God grew Jacob so much, then Laban gets a jealous spirit and then he wants to kill Jacob. So now Jacob's not only running from Esau, but now he's running from Laban. And he's now at a point where he can't cross back and go the other way, even though God had called Jacob and said, leave Laban's house and go back home. But now Jacob is going the opposite direction. He's not even going home. So you got to realize when you at a point and you realize you can't return, you got you're at a point where you must rely on God. You got to depend on the Holy Ghost. So it says here, these angels, verse number one. So Jacob and his household started on again, and the angels of God came to meet him. When he saw them, he exclaimed, God lives here. So he named the place God's territory. Now, Jacob is changing some names. Jacob now sent messengers to his brother Esau in Edom in the land of Seir with this message. Hello from Jacob. I have been living with Uncle Laban until recently, and now I own oxen donkeys, sheep, goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform you of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to us. Remember, he's, he's appealing to the man that hates him. He's appealing to the, to the one he stole everything from. He took everything from Jacob, I mean from Esau. Now he's appealing, I ain't got nowhere to go. Laban hates me, you hate me. I got to appeal to somebody here. So what he starts to do is he decides, I'm going to just start giving gifts. He starts bribing people. And so how many of us have tried to bribe our way out of the circumstance we're in? We sweet talk our way. We kiss up. We, we try to appease our enemy. You, you wonderful person when you can't stand them. We're dealing with honesty today. Now realize, now notice in verse number one, the angels came to what? Meet them. The angels didn't say nothing. How many times in the Bible have you seen an angel appear without a message? That's what an angel is. An angel is a messenger. But they had nothing to say. Now realize this man hadn't seen the angels for 20 years. 20 years ago, he was running from Esau. And he said, I'm tired. I'm going to lay down and I'm going to pick up this stone 
and I'm going to use it as a pillow. And when he laid his head down, the Bible says that there appeared a ladder out of heaven. Jacob's ladder with angels. What were they doing? Descending and ascending. But they were attached to the ladder. You would, and he, then he changed the land, the name of the land to what? Bethel, meaning the house of God. He said, this is a dreadful place. God came and said, I'm going to increase your seed, and I'm going to make you this, and I'm going to do all this for you. And he woke up and said, this place is dreadful. How many times have God come to you and, and, and told you what you're calling, what your appointment was in life? And you said, wow. You, you, you considered it more dreadful than a blessing. So there's obviously something wrong with Jacob's perception. He's confused. Something is not ticking right with him with relation to God. Now, the, the crazy thing is, 20 years later, and I don't know if these are the same angels that he saw on the ladder. I have a good idea they might be. But 20 years later, isn't it amazing that they find the same man in the same condition? You're still running out of fear. 20 years later, you ain't grown a bit. But now look at the mercy of God, though. The angels that were distant. That I, I, I can't grasp because they're, they're, they're busy. They're working. They're sending messages from heaven, sending messages to heaven, and I'm down here on earth. But now, now it says they come and meet him. So now they're not busy over there doing something else. Now they're in my presence. The help that was once you thought was distant from you, if you took the time, to realize it, you realize the angels are right there with you. There's a progression that God's doing here. Because we have the angels ascending and descending. Now we have the angels with us. And the, the text that we read, we have God wrestling himself with Jacob. Look, look at the progression of God. Jacob ain't changed, but God's getting closer. That's mercy. That's, that's grace at its best. When you refuse to change, 20 years later, and God comes to you and says, we got some business to take care of. 20 years prior, he names the place Bethel. This time, in verse number one or two, he names the place Mahanium, which means two hosts or two camps. Because Jacob says, well, I perceive that these two are angels from God. And any time there's two or three, that's an army. <laughs> so Jacob says, this place is going to be called the Lord's camp. But the name of the, that name, uh, Mahanium, means that there's two camps. Now remember, Jacob has his own camp. He's got his wives. He's got his concubines. He's got his men. He's got all of these belongings, and he's very rich now. So he indeed has a large camp. And he's saying now, there's, this is the place where God's camp intermingles with my camp. This is where you can't miss it in your life. You, you got to come to a place that you realize, I know without a doubt that God is with me. And you have to change that point in your life to recognize that this is not about me and my camp, but this is about my camp and God joining together for a great force. And let's look at Jacob's human intuition here. Sometimes we rely on ourselves. We think we know how to get the program done. Verse number six, the messengers that he, that he sent out. They returned with the news that Esau was on the way to meet Jacob with an army of 400 men. Verse number seven is key. Jacob was frantic. Now, he's already in fear. Some might be in here on the verge of going from fear to just losing your mind because fear has what torment the purpose of torment is to induce a breaking point a place to where you give in to what the enemy is demanding from you 
That's what torture and torment is all about. The devil wants you to give in, to give up, to give out. He's tormenting you through, his, through your own fear. The fear is yours. He's using that against you. He became frantic with fear. And here it is. He divided his household along with the flocks, the herds, the camels into two groups. So now we become divided. Fear, torment, division. There's a breaking point. Now you say, okay, let me split this thing up. And then in his own reasoning, he says, okay, let's split up because Jacob's coming with, with 400 men. Now, if this group gets, uh, gets taken by Esau, then this group would get away. And that's what we think. Well, you split up this way and split up. Some of us have seen it in the crazy movies. We'd be yelling at the TV screen. Girl, y'all don't split up. Y'all stay together. Don't act like y'all ain't been here. You so stupid. Maybe that's just me yelling at the screen. But when you at the height of the movie and you know there's a, there's a serial killer out there, as crazy as, as all get out, you don't split up then. You bind together because the Bible says one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put what? Ten thousand. So Jacob, he thought that he had a, a, a good plan. But that's what happens when we get carnal in our thinking and we don't seek God. Now, notice now there hasn't been any prayer yet in this situation. Jacob ain't prayed yet. Because you know what? When you're when, when you take up your uh, fear as an occupation, that's all you have time to consume yourself with. You ain't got time to pray. You're too you're too scared. In order to pray, the Bible says in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For they that come to God must first believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, that word come, come to denotes a spatial area. You've got to get to where God is. And we sitting up here waiting for God to come into your territory. Your territory is tainted with fear, doubt, unbelief, and all that other stuff that God can't work with. But if you can conjure up the faith the size of a mustard seed, you have the faith to get into his presence where everything and all things are possible. For he says, our father which art in heaven. If you get into a heavenly realm in your prayer life, that's the place where things can happen. That's when you say, now, Lord, I need to be translated right now while I'm praying in my spirit. I need a translation into your presence because where you are, as your will is being done where you are, I want it to be done where I am when I come out of this prayer session. Let your will be done in earth as it is in what? He's talking realms here. It's talking about where he is. So those that that go to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The reward deals with hope. Because if you back up to verse number one of Hebrews 11, it says, now faith is the substance of things, what? Hope for the evidence of things not seen. So the hope becomes your reward once you approach God in faith. But you've got to do it and get to the place, into his spatial area. He dwells in heaven. So our carnal thing, we can't be like Jacob. We can't say, okay, well, well, since I ain't heard from God, and many of us probably haven't heard from God because we haven't called on God. Otherwise, the scripture wouldn't say, ask and it shall be given, seek and ye shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. So the problem must be with me. Proverbs 3 says, in all of thy ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path. Don't lean to your own understanding. You should trust God. So Jacob reasoned within himself that he could appease Esau's anger with gifts. 
He also reasoned within himself to trust his servants to give him an accurate report of Esau's activities. Sometimes when you send your little personal spies to check stuff out, maybe they don't have the story straight. Maybe they're in a fearful state. Maybe they say, oh, wow, this man got a, he got 400 men. Now, the thing that sent him over the edge wasn't Esau. But when they said he's got 400 men with him, that's when Esau panicked. Some of us are panicking not because of our enemy. We're panicking because of the thing, the, the big group of comrades of our enemy. It's a perceived threat. It's an optical illusion. Not realizing that you don't have to take on the 400. You, go, you take on the leader. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross for fornication. He didn't come and die on the cross for lying. He didn't come on, on, and die on the cross for drunkenness. He came and died on the cross for the, the general term, the general word for sin. To take away our sin. Not sins. There's a difference. Well, we can get into sins, but there is a sin the Bible says that leads to death. And that is when you reject the work of Christ on the cross. And we can't pray for anybody that rejects that. The Bible said, don't even waste your time. Once they've come to the place where they said, I'm completely rejecting this. I've heard about it. And, and you can't budge me on it. That person, they're in the hands of a just God at that point. But here, the 400. The Bible says that we just, Jesus died. He went into the earth three days, three nights. And the Bible says that he made an open show of the devil. He went to the source. He didn't deal with all the other angels. See, Jacob was realizing all I need to do is for Esau's heart to be changed. And when that one heart changed, guess what? The other 400 ain't going to matter. Because they're following him. So if, if God can get to that, that one in the middle, that, that, that main dog in the group, the rest of them, they're, they're just obeying what the one is saying. All right, so now we got to get to the place. What are we doing? Are we chasing after God? I'm, I'm, I'm chasing after God. We sing the songs. Now, was Esau chasing after God or was he fleeing from his enemies? Because there is a difference. Sometimes we're fleeing from our enemies, but saying, I'm a God chaser. But you're not. You, you can't have it both ways. Because God doesn't work out of fear. Faith is, is a confidence thing. That I'm running to you because I know you, go, you, I know you got me. I know you're going to take care of me. So are you chasing after God or fleeing from your past? Jacob was so busy running from Esau that he never recognized the fact that every time he encountered the heavenly, it wasn't because he was looking for it. At Bethel, he wasn't chasing after God. He laid his head down and didn't even realize that he was in a place where God dwells. Here in chapter 32, he's settled his thing with Laban and said, we won't cross this line to harm one another. But I got this Esau thing now I got to get back to. He's still running. He's sending messengers. He gets the word back. He's not chasing God. He's fleeing from Esau. A good friend of mine got married a little while ago. And the minister did such a great job. And, and he just went to the scriptures and just gave them instruction from the scriptures. And what he told them that is when two become one, you have to stop running. You, you, you can't run it because before you could, you know, people usually confronted you with who you were. Most of us should have friends that is that are they're able to confront you with who you are, tell you about your faults in love, not to manipulate you and take advantage of you. But but they can really show you that reflection within yourself and you can accept that. Some of us, you know, we run. 
We changed the friendship. <laughs> you, know, you know they were right, but I'm not going to deal with that right now. So what he was telling them in this marriage ceremony is, you can't do that anymore. Not if you want to have a successful marriage. You can't run now. You can't run out with the boys when you got a problem with, with her. Because then now you're going to go and poison your boys against her and, and say some things about her that you may not necessarily mean. And the same thing for her. You can't go out with the girls and, and talk about what a low-down, dirty dog he is all the time. Y'all got to learn to work it out. You can't run. So what God is now trying to get to, the, to Esau's mind is you got to stop this. In 20 years long enough of running? How long are you going to run? How long? Don't, don't you, anybody that runs for any length of time get to a point where they're tired. So it's time for us to come to the end of ourselves. I got to tell you something. It's, it's time. I'm sick of being this running person, this, this fearful. I'm running. I'm ducking. I'm hiding. I'm in a place. I, I claim to know Jesus and claim to have the wisdom of, of the greatest spirit that created the universe, but I feel lost. So finally, Jacob wakes up here. Let's see what verse he wakes up in. Verse number eight, for he said, if Esau attacks one group, perhaps the other can escape. Then verse number nine, he gets some sense. Then Jacob prayed. <laughs> well, about time. He wasn't praying before. And this is what I think God has been dealing with me on. I don't know. It could apply to you. But getting back to prayer and fasting. Not because somebody scheduled it for you. And not to say that, that, that you're this spiritual person and, oh, I, I fast every Friday from such and such and such and such. Not out of habit. But when the Holy Ghost is able to deal with you and you realize that there is a stronghold that needs to be broken in your personal life, in your family life, in your circle of friends, whatever the case may be, in your community, you have the power to fast and to pray. And there are some things that, that the disciples prayed for that didn't happen that Jesus was able to come down and touch because he said this kind only happens by prayer and fasting. So some of these things that, that we don't see, they're not going away. Esau was just as angry now as he was 20 years ago. And Jacob was just as fearful now as he was 20 years ago. My question to you is, are you tired? That persistent thing that you keep going through over and over and over and over and over again, are you tired? And if so, then it's time to go down in some prayer and fasting. And the prayer and fasting has to do more with you and your relationship to God than anything else that's going around, with, around you. Remember now, the, we, we want our name changed. God is always in the business of trying to change who you are. But you got to be honest with yourself. Some of us just need to realize the constant in my problems is me. The common denominator in all of the problems that I have is me. Once you realize that you're the, you're the most common thing in all of the problems, then you know where the change needs to take place. And wouldn't it be easier to change one thing than to change a hundred? Remember, God told Jacob, because you have prevailed with God, you're going to prevail with man. Once I change you, you ain't got to worry about them. So finally he prays, although he should have prayed a long time ago, but somebody says better late than never. So he finally prays, and look what he prays. O God of Abraham, my grandfather, and of my father Isaac, O Jehovah who told me to return to the land of my relatives and said that you would do me good, I am not worthy of the least of all your loving kindness shown me again and again, just as you promised me. For when I left home, I owned nothing except a walking stick. And now I am two armies. 
I'm two armies because remember up in verse number one, God sent him a second army. Oh, Lord, please deliver me from destruction at the hand of my brother Esau, for I am frightened, terribly afraid that he is coming to kill me and my and these mothers and my children. So your prayers now should be packed with Lord, you said. Now, I'm not worthy of all the things that you said about me, that you would multiply my seed as the sand of the sea and as the stars of the heavens. I'm not worthy of that, but you promised it to me. I didn't ask you for it, but you said it. That's something I'll never forget from Dean Jackson. She always says, repeat what God told you back to him. That's how. And our kids do it. My daughter come to me, Dad, can I have such and such? No, Zoe. But you said. <laughs> and they'll remind you. Daddy, can we go do this? Can we go get some ice cream? It's Friday. You said we were going Friday. <laughs> it's Friday. It's time to go to Berry Star. So, so we got to get in the habit of of. of and if we don't know what God has said, that's where you got to get in his word and figure out what he said. If you, if you don't know the word, you're, you're rendering yourself defenseless against the enemy. Because the word is the thing that's able to deliver you. So his prayer was packed with the promise of God. He professed his unworthiness of God's blessings. He professed his fear. Notice he said, Lord, I'm scared. Now, sometimes we tiptoe around it, and we find other little words. But how many of us just told God straight out, I'm scared? See, we're getting to the place where, where our name can be changed. But before your name can be changed, there has to be a preparation of the heart. And you got to confess, honestly. I'm a liar. I'm carnal. I got this problem. You, you got to confess what your problem is. Remember, like today, powerful. Just in a little, it didn't take all day. But that thing that was being held in and internalized and started eating away on the inside was able to be confessed. His fear wasn't selfish, though. Not only did he fear for him, he said, but Esau, I'm afraid that he'll take out my wives. And my kids, see, you got to realize that the devil, he don't just want you. He really wants you and everybody connected to you. He wants the whole kit and caboodle. So God used solitude throughout the Bible to deal with most of his servants. And this is the time when all possible distractions are dismissed and you're left alone with God and yourself. If you don't have time in the week where you can get alone with God, you need to make it a point to start doing that. We shouldn't be going long. We, we claim, oh, I'm married to Jesus. <laughs> but y'all ain't sleeping in the same bed. There's no conversation going on. There's no love life going on. That's a bad marriage. There's no intimacy. Can't talk to one another. So, something has, that's not what God designed for us. He designed for an intense connection. But that connection has to be in solitude. You got to be able to get along. Even, it's hard with, with young kids because you still need that time with your wife or your husband. You, we we got to have some time alone. We got to go out and have dinner and talk. Without the running and the kids jumping here and there and all over the place. You need that time in order to, to hone in and to concentrate on the strength of the relationship because that strength of the relationship is going to affect everything outside of it, including the kids and the in-laws and the this and the that. It, it starts with that intimate relationship. So Jacob had survival in mind when he split his camp into two. And he probably had the same mindset when he sent his immediate family and belongings across the river in verse number 22. He didn't realize that God was setting him up for a blessing through solitude. 
Now, it's possible that Jacob had prepared himself for death. Once we get to verse number 22, maybe because now notice the, the dissension here. He has great wealth. He's got two beautiful wives. Well, one had nice eyes and the other had a nice body. That's what the Bible said. And he loved the one with the better body. So I don't know why the Bible wanted to tell us that. <laughs> but he's got two beautiful wives. He's got 11 children. Now, remember that, that the, the promise of Jacob, and I think one of the words we honed in when we were talking on was us always trying to look for perfection. So many of us are, are looking for that, that final thing that's going to perfect our lives. And, well, man, that's what I've been waiting for. But that's not how God designed life. Our goal and our concentration should be on completeness. Completeness doesn't mean perfection. It means that you're being whole, but your wholeness depends on your connection with God. Because once you have that connection, it don't matter what life brings you. If God be for you. Who can stand against you? Once that relationship is there, it's sealed. You can handle whatever comes your way. So maybe Jacob was saying, you know what? I've gotten to the point. I'm just going to send these over here. Now, we had one big camp. Then he split the, the one big camp into two. Then he kept his family in immediate belongings with him, his personal servants. They all stayed with him. Now he's sending them away. See, see how he became more and more going into solitude? Now, he thought it that he was doing the right thing and trying to spare everybody else. But what God had in mind and God was setting the whole thing up is, you don't know it, but I'm getting you alone with me. He probably thought, this is it. Jacob's coming with 400 men. I might as well go in and stand by myself and let him kill me. But it seems like Jacob had some, some love for his family. In this situation, completeness, that word completeness that I just mentioned a, word, a, a minute ago, he had 11 sons. But the Bible had already depicted it that he would have what we call political fullness. That's why we have 12 apostles. We have the 12 tribes of Israel. The Bible has 12 gates, 12 foundations. That's the number of God's governmental completion. Jacob was one kid away from completing his promise in God. What God promised him was just one child away, one birth pain away. And at this point, when he's so close, he sends the 11 that he already has away. You don't want to throw away what you got. You need to keep what you got. So once God adds that final thing to your completeness to make your current situation whole to where he can propel... Uh, propel you into your, your destiny and what he has in store for you, and you can start to see him in all kind of new lights just when you're there. And this is a ploy of the enemy. He knows how close some of us are to getting that, that fulfillment that God has in his mind so we can move on to the next area of our life. And he wants to frighten us into saying, all right, just, uh, just go and send everybody away from you. Shed all your blessings that I gave you. Send them across the river. We don't even read in the text that he, he had planned to join himself back with them. But soon as that happened, as soon as that happened, the Bible says, now came a wrestling match. So God came to where Jacob lived now. Jacob wasn't a talker. He was a supplanter from the womb. That's who he was. He was one who took other people's things. Out of all people, he should understand the most about wrestling because this is what he'd been doing all his life. He wrestled with, with the, the love of his mother because his mother didn't like him. His father liked him and his mother liked Esau. So, right, you had problems in the home before. So he would understand this wrestling thing. But to do it all night, the angel says, let me go because it's dawn. Dawn represented a new day. A new day represents you take on new challenges. So God is basically saying, 
how long are we going to struggle with this thing? I, I want to be other things to you. I want to go about my being God in your life. And we've been wrestled with this thing long enough. God is saying we didn't wrestle long enough with you in this issue. We either need to get it straight now uh, or you got to let me go because I got other things to do. So Jacob refused to let go until God agreed to bless him. But Jacob was now holding on as tightly to God at dawn as God started holding on to him in the middle of the night. Because he realizes something. This is a strong man. This must be God. So that's the tenacity that God is looking for in us. And the request for a blessing, oddly meant, was met with a question. I want you to bless me. The answer is, what's your name? We come to God. I want you to do A, B, C, D in my life. God is saying, who are you? I want you to confess to me who you are. And he says, my name is Jacob. I'm a person that is a conniving shyster. That's who I am. And God is coming to us and saying, who are you? And then I'm going to bless you. But we're saying, I'm, I'm saved. I'm your child. I always please you. I treat everybody right. You know, I don't know why Esau's mad at me. I've only, I've only done the best things, you know. But you can't lie. You, you got to say, I'm this. I'm a sinner. Now, can you help me? I would gather that this confession of his name was different than any other time. This profession had in it a deep desire for change. Some of us brag about who we are. I'm, I'm a little rebellious. I like that. I'm a I'm a little wild. What do you say? I'm a, I'm, I'm a little wild person. But if God doesn't like that particular part of you, then you, you got to change the way you say it. You, you can't brag about it. Now, this, is, this time when Jacob said his name, I believe he said it with a desperate desire for change. I'm a shyster? Wow. Like she said this morning, you had to realize that's how God sees me. And when you realize how God sees you, then that's what, and you realize how disappointed he must be, how hurt he must be that you're not living in, in, in the form that he called you to live in. That becomes very hurtful. for It should be hurtful for us. This is my name, but I don't want that label anymore. Is there anything you could do for me? Not only did he get his blessing, but he also have the change that would equip him to walk in that blessing. You can't handle the blessing that God has for you as long as you stay who you are. God had the blessing, the entire wrestling match. But he says, you can't handle the blessing until I change your name. I have to equip who I have to change who you are to equip you to even handle what I'm about to send you into and prepare you for. And notice that in the Bible, whenever God was angry with Israel, the nation, he called them Jacob. Every time, read it throughout the entire Old Testament. Whenever he, they were, had strayed away from God, he didn't call them Israel. He called them Jacob. That's why in the, in the tribulation, he calls it Jacob's trouble. He doesn't call it Israel's trouble because Israel's trouble was the man that pleased God. Israel was the man who walked away, a changed man, and in complete union and oneness with God. But Jacob is the one who was running fearful, disobedient, didn't listen to God. He thought he could do it his own way. And that's what he That's why he says, Israel better get ready for Jacob's trouble because that's the person they've become again. And he says the same thing to you and I. If you revert back to who you were, then whatever your name is, that person's got trouble coming. Because you're not, you're not walking in my calling. So this wrestling match was an intense prayer session. It affected Jacob physically as Christ sweated blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. We always thought, thought about the, the um, battle of the wheels. And the prayer was fervent and it was effectual. And it availed much. Some of us have been wrestling the wrong people. You've been wrestling with somebody you thought was against you. What you really, you've been wrestling Esau. You've been wrestling Laban. You've been fighting with Rachel and, and, and Leah. 
you should have been wrestling with God. Because that's the only wrestling match that has the power to give you the blessing that God has for you. So if you wrestle with Laban and win, your blessing isn't in that wrestling match. You could say, I came out on top of Laban. You could say that I've stripped the, the birthright from Esau. I got the blessing. I got the birthright. But your entire life of 20 years has been fearful. What good is the blessing if you can't enjoy it in peace? So while we have been struggling to change the things that, we've been, that have been perplexing us, God has been trying to change us. Now, Esau was changed because Jacob was changed. We read at the end of this chapter, when, when Esau came to Jacob, something in him had turned his anger. And if you go back a few chapters, you don't read ever when Esau was seeking Jacob to reconcile. Esau was still in pursuit of him with his 400 men to kill him. But because Jacob wrestled and prevailed against the angel of God, God himself, because there's another uh, scripture, I meant to get it because it was in another, uh, some other notes I had. But the Bible talks about this particular uh, instance, and it says that Jacob wrestled with God. And he, and he did it in tears and in prayer. So this is how we know this was an intense prayer session. It wasn't just a physical thing. This was an intense prayer session. Some of our prayer lives have been too easy. The Bible says, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. There ought to be some struggling going on. That straight gate, that gate to where <laughs> she talked about earlier, she talked about the straight gate, and, and that just don't mean a little strict set of rules. That means that there's, there's some anguish. There, there's some uh, uh, abrasiveness. You're rubbing up against stuff, other people. The, the space gets a little tight. You're uncomfortable. If that's not our prayer life, if our prayer lives haven't been uncomfortable, maybe we're not in really serious warfare. This man wrestled until God had to say, wow, I'm, I'm God, and this man won't let me go. How powerful and focused must you be to hold on to God so intensely that he can't even break away from you? The omnipotent God who has all power, who could speak your lungs into just stopping. But he fought with Jacob and Jacob wouldn't let him go. How many of us have wrestled with God in prayer that way? Well, did you pray about it? Yeah, I prayed about it. Did you? Like Jacob's prayer? I don't think you, you could say that you have prevailed in prayer when your name ain't been changed. If you haven't changed who you are from that particular situation that you're in right now, that you've been in for years, maybe decades, then you ain't maybe prayed right. So Esau was changed because Jacob was changed. Jacob's victory over the man, it was like a sonic boom. It was like that mushroom cloud that we see from a nuclear bomb. That you see where the bomb exploded, but it starts to spread out immediately. We live near the Air Force Base where the, they, they fly those stealth bombers. And once they reach mock speed, it shakes the entire house once they break the sound barrier. And that is the place to where you enter from one realm into another. You, you are now flying faster than the speed of light or the speed of sound. That's why it booms. Once you reach that breaking point, it shakes everything around you. So when God changed Esau, I mean, Jacob's name to Israel, he changed Esau's heart at the exact same time. And this is the key to our victory. That last verse said in 28, it isn't anymore. Your name isn't Jacob anymore. It is Israel, one who has power with God. See, we want to claim to have power with God. Oh, I walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. And because you have been strong with God, you shall prevail with men. Jacob didn't even realize, I just changed your enemy's heart because you were willing to submit to my change. Once we get to the place where we say, Lord, I surrender all. I, I, I just give up. I'm, I'm giving it whatever you want. 
I'm not going to hold on to this fear any longer. Whatever you want me to do, just tell me. I'm going to submit. Some of us have been running from what God has been telling us to do. God is saying, are you tired of running yet? Because the minute I change your name, the thing that you've been running from is going to be reconciliation for you. It's going to, it's going to be a restoration. Remember, his name is Jesus. He's coming to deliver. But he's giving you instruction on how you're delivering or how your deliverance is going to be brought about. 